Hi, and welcome back to Burgundy Blogcast. This is Brent from Burgundy Blog, sharing deep research and fiercely rational commentary on the Washington Redskins. It's the evening of April 19th, 2020. Most of you at this moment are watching the Chicago Bulls documentary on ESPN, but uh, your boy's just not really that into the NBA, so I'm a free agent right now. Just like I have been from a sports standpoint for most of the last month. Anyway, this is the second episode of the sixth season of Burgundy Blogcast. I hope a few days ago you enjoyed the conversation with my friend Colin that I published, mostly regarding the upcoming draft. But as I mentioned at that time, there's a few other topics that are active for the Redskins these days that I wanted to touch on before draft mania really kicks into high gear over the next couple of days. And then at the end of this episode, I'll mention a few additional things that are draft related that have occurred to me since episode one. So here I go. Okay, first things first, and this is a little out of character, because usually on the blogcast I don't beat around the bush, and I launch straight into redskin stuff. In fact, small talk and bush beating is probably my biggest pet peeve about all sports podcasts, even my very favorites. That said, I feel compelled to say something to you listeners right now that has absolutely nothing to do with the NFL or the Redskins, and it is a special message for people like me who are parents of young children during quarantine. Indeed, I happen to be a parent of three young children during quarantine, roughly within the elementary school range, and I'm sending out a massive shout-out to all others in the same boat, because right now, as we get into the second month of hashtag stay at home, it's basically like the last few chapters of Lord of the Flies up in this crib. This household is in struggle mode. The struggle is very real. My three kids are spending most of every day trying their hardest to undermine, sabotage, and or physically maim each other. This house is Struggleville Population 5, and I'm just trying to give you real rap and be vulnerable because someone out there needs to hear this. I don't generally think of myself as like A-plus, world's greatest dad, but I'm a good dad, and this situation is still getting rough. First few weeks, yes, sure, being forced to spend less time at work and and being therefore allowed to spend more time at home. There was definitely a blessing in disguise aspect to the whole situation. I really was digging the extra time with my kids and my wife. I really was. It was nice to get kind of recentered a little bit, but this place is an asylum now, and I doubt I'm alone. I'm not saying I hope I'm not alone. I wish better for you young families out there. I wish you easier circumstances than this, but I suspect I'm not alone. And by the way, I hope it goes without saying, The intention behind this message is certainly not to diminish the actual, very legitimate, one million times worse and harder difficulties facing many Americans and many American families in this time of crisis when many people are very sick and dying. In fact, I'll be at work tomorrow taking care of patients like I always do. And I know the realest struggles are the medical ones. But if you, like me, are starting to go a little bit loco because your kids are off the chain, please hear this message of empathy, hear this message of solidarity. It doesn't mean you suck, because I don't suck, but I am sucking a little bit right now. Hang in there, peeps. We're going to make it, somehow. All right, let's talk some frickin' football. 
The last blogcast that I did by myself, final episode of season five, recorded on the night before the unofficial start to free agency 2020 and the new league year. I covered a lot of ground. I made some predictions. I explained some of my inclinations about what I wanted to happen in the coming week, what I thought would happen under Ron's and Kyle's watch in the coming week. And for the sake of accountability, I wanted to circle back and compare what I said before free agency to what has transpired with the Redskins since. I said on that pod with regard to the Redskins quarterback situation that I strongly suspected the Redskins would acquire a second quarterback with high credibility as an NFL starter, someone with a resume as a starter who would very legitimately push Haskins for the starting job and possibly even enter as the more likely or presumed starter. And the examples I threw out there were very lightly Derek Carr and then more seriously Teddy Bridgewater and Cam Newton. And then when the league year started, it turned out that I was wrong. Totally wrong. That's not what they did. Of course, what they actually did was trade a fifth rounder for Kyle Allen, third year player from Ron Rivera's old stomping grounds, the Carolina Panthers. Definitely not in the Carr, Bridgewater, Newton category. I was just wrong about that. My bad. I will probably always think that Ron thought long and hard about Cam, but regardless, I led you astray in that regard. In Kyle Allen, the Redskins did not get a player who, by resume and or reputation, is an immediate threat to Dwayne Haskins. He's a very young player, barely more NFL game experience at this point than Dwayne, mixed results at best in his one season slash 12 games as a starter, and in fact, unlike Dwayne, better at the beginning, worse at the end. He also lacks Dwayne's pedigree, having been an undrafted free agent out of Houston, and that after a failed transfer from Texas A&M. Kyle Allen is a player with respectable physical traits in terms of size, athleticism, arm strength, and he has put a few pretty good games on tape in the NFL. But no, he's not a threat to Dwayne Haskins' job, or at least he shouldn't be, which, yes, suggests that Rivera and Kyle Smith probably do have a little bit more confidence in Haskins, at least, than I thought they did though still not necessarily a lot of confidence. Except, I think, except for one obviously important thing about Kyle Allen that doesn't make him a better player, but could make him a more viable candidate to start than he would be on any other team right now. And that obviously is the teacher's pet factor. So while I don't think that Kyle Allen is a particularly good quarterback, at least in 2020, and further, I'm not super high on his future prospects, as a long-term starter anywhere in the NFL. Not writing him off, mind you, he's young, but I don't love him. And in fact, beyond the first two or three possessions that Carolina had in their game against the Redskins this year, I thought Allen was frankly pretty gross. So I'm not super high on him, but although I'm not super high on him, it would be pretty dumb of us as fans to blow off the fact that Rivera and Scott Turner are largely responsible for the entirety of Kyle Allen's career, that they trusted him with three quarters of a season's worth of starts, that Scott Turner let Kyle Allen air the thing out a lot in a number of those starts, and that they gave up a non-trivial asset in a fifth-round pick to acquire him. So if you were hoping, like me, that the Redskins would pursue some legitimate competition for Haskins, or even, as Rivera previously put it, very competitive competition for Haskins, to really force him to focus even more, or to light the proverbial fire under his butt, then... While you wouldn't really have gotten it in a player of Kyle Allen's caliber, you kind of did get it in Kyle Allen because he's Kyle Allen, in that he's got a 
pretty familiar and intimate history with the new bosses. I'm not really sure I see it in Kyle Allen, but it seems like they see something in him. And if they do, then Haskins, who pretty clearly has more physical talent than Kyle Allen, and who should normally, as only a second year, former first round pick, have earned the benefit of at least another year's worth of pretty much unconditional organizational support. I I would say that, yeah, it's got to pretty definitely be Dwayne's job to lose, but this situation is definitely not set up so that he definitely can't lose it. Was that too many negatives? What I mean is this might not exactly be a competition, whether Rivera uses that exact word or not. I'd say they're hoping and expecting that Dwayne will take the job and run with it, but I think Haskins better get a little more blue collar, a little bit less too cool for school. Basically just start doing a heck of a lot more sucking up to the coaching staff than he obviously did under the Jay Gruden regime. I think he really needs to mind his P's and Q's if he wants to stay in control of that position. And listen, there's no reason he shouldn't. He's got the arm. He's got the body. He's been in the building. He's thrown every route a bunch of times to Terry McScorin, Kelvin Harmon, Stephen Sims Jr. He's the owner's favorite. He was a highly successful and decorated player in the Big Ten. He was drafted in the first half of the first round. Whatever whispers and rumors there may have been throughout last season about his attitude or his approach or his work ethic or whatever, there's no reason he shouldn't seize and keep this job. He certainly can. And hell yeah, I want him to. Contrary to popular belief on Twitter, where I think I may be largely viewed as a Haskins hater, or at least a skeptic, I am fully aware that the best case scenario for the Redskins is for him to be awesome and quickly awesome and to erase all doubts and to shut up the haters. I would love for him to attack the virtual offseason ferociously, to devour the new playbook, to memorize it like the back of his hand, to come back even a little stronger, a little faster, a little more dialed in, a little more prepared for the rigors of the professional game, and to just take off. That would be great. But yes, at this moment, I still do have a little bit of reason to doubt. I think you do too. It's concerning that so many coaches and executives and other people attached to the Redskins with clout for various reasons were, for many months, if not critical of him, then at best very measured and cautious in dispensing praise of him, specifically with regard to his preparedness, his readiness, his maturity, and I'd say his potential. I think a lot of things were said publicly that impugned his potential. So no, I'm not a Haskins hater. I don't think I'm even really a Haskins doubter, but I'm Haskins agnostic. I'm kind of Haskins neutral, and I'm certain that Rivera entered no matter what he may have said or promised to Dan Snyder prior to accepting the job, I'm certain that Rivera entered with at least some hint of those reservations about Haskins because he's not an idiot and he looked into it. And that's why I thought that they might just go right up over his head with with a Cam Newton type or a Teddy, but they didn't. Instead, they got a guy that that, that they, I mean, Ron and Scott have been grooming together for two years in a different place. So yeah, I think Haskins is quite a bit safer with Kyle Allen in the room than if it were one of those other guys. But I definitely think that in terms of his intensity and his performance, he needs to mash the gas on day one and keep it floored or he'll be in jeopardy. A couple other quick things on the topic of quarterbacks. In fact, very quick probably because I'm going to lose a few of you here. There's still really only two of them right now because Alex Smith is non-viable. And two might not be enough. In fact, it's definitely not enough for any sort of actual non-virtual camp. So there's going to be at least somebody else. And for a couple of weeks, there may be somebody's else 
and maybe they'll just be some rando uh, UDFA type camp arm guys. And maybe the Redskins will only carry two for much of the season. But maybe not. Uh, you know, obviously, some teams carry three. And yes, of course, Kyle Allen and Dwayne Haskins are both very young. But as we've seen and heard, Ron Rivera is borderline obsessed with the idea of competition at every position. So it will not shock me one bit if the Redskins actually do draft a quarterback as well. I think most likely that is a day three kind of proposition and a very, very developmental kind of prospect, especially since they literally just gave away a fifth for Kyle Allen. But until you've got a dude who you absolutely know is your dude, it's pretty reasonable to always be looking. Now, as for the highest profile possibilities, i.e. in particular one Tua Tonga-Vailoa, I do agree with general consensus that that pick at number two is unlikely. But in my eyes, in my brain, it might not be quite as unlikely as most others view it. And it's, well, it's because I really just think that Tua is a badass. I think a surprisingly large contingent of fans has forgotten that that was common knowledge before his hip injury. In fact, teams were hypothetically tanking for Tua way before they were ever tanking for Burrow. You do remember that, right? Tua has been the cat's meow since he was in high school. He is really, really good. The injury situation is a real concern. I'm not running from that, and I'm not denying that. He's definitely been banged up. And the hip thing is uncommon and concerning. But in my mind, if not for the hip thing, the idea of the Redskins taking Tua at number two would be super realistic. He was totally awesome at Bama. Tons of touchdowns, very few interceptions, strong arm, crazy accurate at all three levels, big time success in the biggest games, in the clutchest situations, quick release, above average mobility, and to me, the most important thing by a mile, in Tua's favor, by all accounts, A-plus intangibles. Again, I don't think Rivera's going to pull that trigger because I think Chase Young is just too good and too safe. In fact, as an aside, you have to think about that, this being Kyle Smith's biggest and most important draft yet from the standpoint of his career. Chase Young, very, very safe. Tua, very risky, maybe prohibitively. But I, I have to think that Rivera hell-bent on detoxifying the Redskins culture and establishing an entirely new ethos. I'm certain he's been tempted by this Pied Piper type aura that Tua definitely has by every single account. So that's all I'm going to say about it. I don't think they're going to draft Tua. I'm not pushing for them to draft Tua because it is a risk and because, damn, Chase Young looks so awesome. But if you think that's a zero chance kind of possibility, I'm pushing back on that a little bit. I don't think it's zero. And if you would view the selection of Tua at number two as an unforgivable mistake, I would be disagreeing with you on that too. I would miss Chase Young, but I, I, would, I would view that as ballsy and very exciting. And by the way, my money is on him completely getting past the hip injury. So anyway, that's it. I've said my piece on the QBs. Another thing I predicted in my pre-free agency pod is that the Redskins would go really hard after Amari Cooper, and boy, was that completely right. As you've no doubt heard, the Redskins pretty clearly tried to make him, if not the richest, then at least one of the two or three richest wide receivers in the NFL. And I don't blame them for that. I think he's a really good player, and I see why they were trying to do that. I agree with it, and I'm bummed that they missed out. I realize that although he's been highly productive in his career, he's been a little bit inconsistent. Some people believe in this narrative that he shrinks in big moments. 
I feel personally that that's a little overstated. I'm disappointed he's going back to Dallas. I think he will continue to hurt the Redskins for years there. On the one hand, their apparent willingness to pay him loads and loads of money suggests that he was really a big part of basically like plan A for their uh, free agency period, their offseason. I don't think you can be willing to make a $100 million commitment to somebody and act like he's not the crux of your offseason strategy. At the same time, I'm sure they weren't entirely blindsided and dumbfounded and befuddled that he ultimately turned them down and returned to the Cowboys. Because first of all, he always kind of said publicly all along that, that that's what he intended to do. And secondly, it wasn't until really like the 11th hour before free agency started that it was clear that Amari Cooper was even going to become a free agent at all. So I doubt the Redskins were ever really in their minds banking on him becoming a Redskin. But at the same time, the money says, and you can hear in Rivera's voice when he has discussed it publicly a couple times since then, that he and they really, really wanted him and were disappointed not to land him. So I got that part right, and I'm glad they swung hard, but I know they're a little bit stung by falling short. And let's face it, it's the kind of thing that's just going to happen as long as you're viewed by the rest of the league as an also-ran. Rounding up some of my other expectations from prior to free agency, I told you I didn't think the Redskins would or should go super hard after Austin Hooper. I did not think that they would view him as a um, setting the position market kind of guy. Uh, Personally, I'm glad that they let the Browns do that. I understand that the newest and freshest, highest paid player at any position is often not the best, just happens to be the most recently signed. I get how it works. I get that today's overpay is tomorrow's bargain. But in my book, you should not give top of the market money to a guy who's probably not even in the top tier, and I just don't see him there. So I'm fine that they bailed on Hooper. Now, in his place, they sure didn't find anybody who's likely to make an impact. Logan Thomas, still a project. Richard Rogers, low ceiling, recently injured. Uh, They're definitely hurting bad at that position, and of course, they struck out on Greg Olson long before that. I still don't think that's reason enough to reach and drastically overpay a guy who's just pretty good, especially when he's obviously not going to be the difference between like a conference championship and a Super Bowl in 2020. I did mention I was hoping that they would bring back Kendall Fuller, and they did. I'm happy to have been right about that one. He's definitely not a traditional shutdown slash lockdown boundary corner, but they didn't have to pay him like one either. I'm glad they passed on Bradbury. I'm fine that they missed out on Byron Jones. I think Kendall Fuller for way, way less than those other guys ended up signing for. He's a great move. He's super high character, very versatile, good player. He'll be on the field constantly. He's been very, very healthy in the pros since his big knee injury in college that caused him to slide in the draft. He did break a finger a couple of times, but I'm not going to hold that against him. Anyway, after they whiffed on Cooper, signing Fuller obviously was the biggest move. And although I didn't think that exactly would send seismic ripples throughout the league, it was a really good move. I'm really happy they did that. I think the other corner, Ronald Darby, interesting signing. I actually think he's got a pretty high ceiling. Started out his career really well in Buffalo. Kind of fell off, uh, probably for multiple reasons, including scheme, some injury issues. And also, I definitely think the league caught up to the fact that he's not a good player when his back is to the football. So if Jack Del Rio and the Redskins' new secondary coach... Chris Harris are not able to help coach him up on that issue. He will continue to get picked on like he did last year with the Eagles coming back from injury. But if they can keep that from being his Achilles heel, so to speak, Darby might might be a pretty good player. And I think getting him on a one-year prove-it type deal, that's, that's exactly the type of guy you should give a prove-it deal to because maybe he will prove it. 
and then you've got something and you found him for pretty cheap. As for safeties, I kind of had my eye on Demarius Randall, and for a brief period, there was some chatter on social media that that might be an option, but obviously that that did not come to pass. I think Sean Davis was um, uh, an intriguing signing there, and I do think that they intend for him to start at free safety next to Collins. He's a guy that I really liked coming out of Maryland in the draft. The Steelers moved him all over the secondary, and he basically played a different position each of his first few years there, including strong safety, then free safety, also played corner. I think most most analysts seem to feel he's a more natural fit at free safety, which seems to be what the Redskins have in mind for him. And I like that move. Um, I was super happy that they cut Monte Nicholson, who I felt was extremely unreliable, both on the field and off the field. Obviously, he was in trouble a bunch. He was in the fight at one Loudon, and then much worse was the tragic situation where his girlfriend overdosed at his house and eventually died. And in my view, the circumstances were extremely sketchy. But from a purely purely football standpoint, I thought he was super overrated as a player and as a starter too. Yes, great size, good speed, athletic, occasionally would make a special play, but only occasionally at most. Just lots of missed assignments, lots of dumb penalties, lots of missed tackles. I didn't trust him at all. I'm glad he's gone. I think Sean Davis will be an upgrade there. After those guys, I think the signing that will be the most impactful for the 2020 Redskins was um, probably a player who maybe no other team would have even had any interest in, and that's Thomas Davis. And the reason for that is that he's 117 years old. But yeah, he did play 16 games for the Chargers last year and led them in tackles. So he's got at least something left in the tank. And I have no doubt that Rivera intends for him to not only make the team, but be very, very involved. I'm sure he'll be a captain. He's going to be like Rivera's first lieutenant in, in establishing the sort of culture that he wants here. And I don't hate it. I think he'll. I think even at his age, he's still going to be pretty fun to watch. Generally speaking, this free agent class, again, noting that they swung hard on Cooper and missed, but after him, they decided to go super duper conservative. Honestly, you could argue that they only signed one player in Kendall Fuller, who's a slam dunk starter on like most of of the teams in the NFL. I think the rest of these guys, and there were more than a dozen of them so far, are clearly depth and even fringe depth, except you've got a small handful of guys on short contracts who Rivera kind of seems to feel like he's got inside info on, who I think he is pretty sure will start for him this year. And that includes Sean Davis, Ronald Darby, John Bostic in the middle, and maybe Thomas Davis, depending on Reuben Foster's health and how the draft shakes out. Personally, I feel that even if they had landed Cooper, even if they sold him on a new start, and he signed a $100 million contract, I still would be viewing this class overall, and certainly in his absence, and viewing this class as an acknowledgement, even an admission, that the Redskins are not and will not be legitimate contenders this year. I am not saying, hear me out, I am not saying that he doesn't care if they win games. Obviously, Ron Rivera will continue to be the same hyper-competitive person and leader he's always been in football. I think the very idea of tanking or not trying to win as many games as possible would probably make him throw up and or punch someone. But I think it's clear that he knows they're not going deep into the playoffs because he just totally did not go out and add the type of guy or guys that would be getting you over any sort of proverbial hump. If he was prioritizing wins and overall record in 2020, it would have been very, very easy for him in free agency to add multiple obvious starters. And he just didn't. He turned it down. That was totally not their plan. Instead, he got mostly cheap guys on short contracts who are literally fighting for their NFL lives, fighting to extend their careers. He signed a bunch of wounded animals, not physically in most cases, but professionally, 
who are going to have to fight like hell just to survive. In fact, I tweeted a couple weeks ago, I don't feel that Ron Rivera is building a depth chart. I think he's building an octagon. In other words, a place for all of these guys just to battle it the hell out. I think the bedrock of the culture he's trying to instill in, in Washington is competitive spirit and the idea that you only get what you earn. And like that's, that's obviously a big sports and, and a big football cliche. I'm not trying to act like he split the atom. But that idea is just so, so, so needed here specifically more than so many other places. Just a critical, basic, foundational thing for sustained winning. And that concept of only getting what you've earned and, and of the guys even at the top having to always compete and fight for what they've got has been sorely lacking under the Jay Gruden administration. And of course, maybe more importantly, under the Bruce Allen administration for 10 years. So it wasn't sexy. It was a little underwhelming, uh, this free agency period, at least uh, in comparison to, to what was kind of, well, I think, I think largely predicted and expected uh, you know, in, in the media and among most fans, because you've got this new coach who says, who says, I don't have a timetable, but I know I've got to win soon, and he's got a bunch of money to spend. I mean, let's face it, most of us thought they would be a lot more aggressive than they were, even when you factor in Amari Cooper, and they just weren't. So I don't think that an immediate turnaround is a big priority for him. He may very well like the roster he inherited, but there's no way he thinks he's going from 3-13 and 13 to 10-6 and six based only on his superior coaching and these free agency acquisitions. He just doesn't, and I, I think he doesn't really care. I think year one is basically just a reboot, and it's going to be a lot more about establishing values and priorities than making the playoffs. On the subject of Trent Williams, I remain strongly in favor of not caving to a pathetically below market deal. If you can't get a second round pick for him in this draft, then you should aim for a second round pick in next year's draft or something this year. It's a close approximation. Sure, yes, I'd be willing to talk about two thirds or a third and a fifth and a very useful player. But just because we as fans have grown impatient and frustrated with the situation and with Trent's transformation or, or fall from beloved hero to resented traitor. As much as we all just want it to be over and we're anxious for immediate gratification and getting a day two pick that we can use like five days from now, you still just cannot give away one of your best and, and most valuable assets for free. And he certainly, certainly has not earned enough goodwill recently to deserve getting cut free for his own benefit. Even as all the draft experts are touting the top level of this offensive tackle class as historic, and they're saying four, five, six tackles might go in the first round. I'm actually hearing pretty universal agreement that none of them is likely to ever be as good as Trent Williams has already been, and certainly not in the next year or two. So while we've heard a lot about the league really balking at the Redskins' trade demands or at Trent's contract demands, I still think when it comes down to brass tacks, Teams will act as if he's a top tackle because he is, and it's, it's still a very, very needed position and a scarce one. I think it's possible that after the first round ends, the Redskins could get a second round pick in this year's draft from a team who missed out on all the tackles in the first. More likely a third in something else or maybe a future second, like I said. I'd be down with that. A second next year is almost as good as a second this year for me because as established, the Redskins are going to suck this year. Come on, let's face it. It's not like they desperately need to fill some hole right now. But as I said uh, on last, last week's episode with Colin, I do think that, that the Redskins are specifically targeting a return to this draft's second round. And I think whether it be by trading Trent 
or trading somebody else who maybe we're not even thinking about or possibly even packaging some picks to move up into the second. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying I'm begging for that, but it just wouldn't shock me. I feel like they want to make a pick in the second round. I kind of feel like somehow it's going to happen. I've said up until even very recently that if you can't get what you feel Trent is worth, then you stick it to him. You force him to play. And I do think that that the Redskins should still be posturing that way towards him and towards his agent. But honestly, now, no, I, I don't think that's realistic. I, I don't, I, I just cannot, I can't see a scenario where he comes back and plays for the Redskins again. He burned that bridge and then he threw a grenade on it. You can't bring him back. Cannot bring him back. So uh, you got to get something for him. I just, I'm still just really hoping and expecting that it's going to be something pretty good. All right, Quinton Dunbar. Uh, this is old news by now, but QD finally got what he wanted, which was out, of course. And he's a Seahawk, and in exchange, the Redskins got a fifth-round pick. Uh, I think the general uh, fan reaction was uh, that the Redskins got too little for him. And yeah, he's a good player, and on the surface, it struck me as a little bit too little, but I think only a little bit too little. Um, I feel like maybe a fourth-rounder would have been would have been pretty reasonable. So the Redskins probably didn't really field quite the offers that that they were hoping for, certainly that fans were hoping for, but it doesn't shock me that the fifth was the best they were able to do. He's a good player, but not as good as PFF says, and not as good as most Redskins fans think. I do not think he was feared by opposing quarterbacks and offensive coordinators. I do not think he would be a number one corner for more than a very small handful of teams. I think he might not even be a starting corner for another handful of teams. And he's a guy who's missed a lot of time, including a long stretch with a mysterious nerve leg injury that nobody really ever figured out and which, as far as I'm concerned, could totally recur. I mean, it's one thing to have like a kind of bad injury that you can fix. It's another thing to have an injury that no one really even understands. And it lingers way longer than it than, than was expected. So anyway, um, I, I liked Quentin Dunbar while he was here, at least up until the last couple of weeks. Before then, he was obviously a great story. He worked himself into a starting role by switching positions, working really hard, ascending, being tough as nails. I remember he played, played one game and had a key interception in the second half after breaking his finger. I liked him a lot, but then I think he really developed um, an unrealistic view of himself and his value to the team. I think he might honestly be the worst player I can recall demanding a trade. And I think basically that you know prior to Bruce Allen getting fired, he and his agent had made a little bit of progress towards some sort of contract extension or improvement with the previous regime. And then they got canned. And so he got knocked back down to square one. And then Ron showed up and was like, I'm not extending anybody who I've never met before until I know what they're about. And I think Dunbar was like just super frustrated with that and basically said, to hell with it, I want out. Dunbar also, I think, was a rarity in in being very loyal to Jake Rudin specifically. I feel like Chris Thompson was another example. He always seems just super um, unreasonably high on Jay. But Dunbar, I feel like really attributed a lot of his opportunity and eventually success to Jay. I don't think there's a ton of players out there who feel that way about Jay Gruden, but he was one. And I think when Jay went, Dunbar was just not impressed by all the great things he had been hearing about Ron Rivera from Rivera's previous players, and he wanted out. So... He bitched and moaned until it happened, and then it happened. I don't think the Redskins are better off for getting a fifth for him, but I don't think it's that big a deal. I don't think they got fleeced. I think it was just a matter of value and fit. So basically, what are you going to do? 
Okay, final segment. Couple, couple more odds and ends about the draft as we come down the home stretch here. I think the Redskins are probably going to draft Chase Young at number two, just like everyone else in the world apparently does. I don't think two is out of the question because I suspect that Ron has a man crush on Tua, but I think they will probably deem him too risky. So Chase Young will be an absolutely awesome get, and he has the power to make this draft class very memorable and significant pretty much uh, by himself. I do think they'll be angling to get back into the second. It might be hard, especially if Trent Williams' market uh, goes cold. But if they do, I think they'll be looking really hard and, and focusing on offensive skill guys and playmakers and weapons for Haskins in that slot, specifically receivers and tight ends. Since my last episode with Colin, I think I've decided that my favorite tight end um, and the one I hope the Redskins target is Harrison Bryant out of FAU. That's Alfred Morris's alpha ma- uh, alma mater. Uh, I watched some breakdowns on Harrison Bryant, and I think he's going to be a really good pass-catching tight end in the NFL. I've seen him compared by respected analysts to both Hunter Henry and George Kittle, <laughs> so that's pretty good company. Um, the Redskins' stable of running backs is already a little bit crowded with them having unexpectedly added Peyton Barber in addition to J.D. McKissick, but I've heard that they have been doing some homework on running backs. And uh, I mean, honestly, every team considers drafting a running back every year. One guy I like in the mid rounds is Cam Akers out of Florida State. He was really good in his game against UVA, which I watched. He's just a good, solid runner, I think, versatile. I think he's going to be a good all around NFL back. Also, a safety I really like if they should decide to go that direction is Antoine Winfield Jr. out of Minnesota. He's got obviously great bloodlines, but he looks to me like a longtime starter. They've got seven picks right now. Uh, I've gotten used to, in the recent past, saying, I think the Redskins are going to try to make more picks in this draft than they're entering with. And sometimes they have, and sometimes not. And I would typically say for a coach, uh, a team with a new coach, clearly in a rebuild, that yes, that would apply. And maybe it does. But my hunch actually is, is, is that maybe not. I don't really feel as strongly about that expectation as I thought I might uh, a few weeks ago, at least before free agency happened, they signed a ton of guys. It's mostly depth, but they signed a lot of dudes. They're all young. I mean, if they perceived holes in their depth, I think they would have filled most of them by now. I'm not sure Rivera will enter this as desperate for you know uh, extra picks as a new coach often would. Granted, uh, you know he he clearly wants to push competition everywhere, so I could be way off base, but. I wouldn't be totally surprised if actually they end up making fewer than seven picks, and if they try to package a couple of them to move up and get somebody of greater significance in the second or third round. I do think they know that they need more offensive firepower, and I think the receiver class may afford them that luxury on day two or into day three this year. So whereas the free agency class was was really all about quantity, I have a feeling that their draft class is going to be a little more focused on quality. Because frankly, if, if they don't do something significant at both receiver and tight end, they're going to find themselves again in a situation where Dwayne Haskins is just set up to fail. So we'll see. Uh, draft, always an exciting time this year, pro- maybe more so than, than ever or as far back as I can remember, probably since as far back as uh, Chris Samuels and LeVar Arrington. I mean, yeah, okay, obviously, I'm, I guess I'm overlooking uh, RG3 there, but that was kind of a foregone conclusion by the time draft day rolled around. I'm super excited about the number two pick. I'm super excited to see, you know, what direction they go in this combination of Ron Rivera and Kyle Smith. 
What what kind of team are they trying to build? Are they going to try and add speed, size, experience, toughness? I want to see what they focus on. And I want to see how this virtual draft shakes out. I mean, that's that's a wild card too. So it's going to be riveting. I'll be dialed in. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to watch pretty much the whole thing if possible. I'll definitely um, hit back with another pod shortly after the draft, maybe even after the first round. And uh, definitely look forward to discussing all of that with you guys on Twitter.